Genesis chapter 1. Let's read together. I'm going to throw these up on the screen so that we can read them together. If you're joining us online, love for you to download our church app. There's a Bible on there. You can follow along with it. Genesis 1 verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that interesting? God created the heavens and the earth. There's billions of dollars being spent on research, trying to figure out how we got here, and literally the answer is found in the first handful of words in the Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Listen, very important. And the Spirit of God, everybody say the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, really want to draw your attention to this uh, part of the Scripture. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and He called the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. I want to draw your attention to that one place one more time in this passage. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. If I had to give this message a title, I would call it the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. Pray with me. Father, we love your Word. We love you. Pray that what is shared now would be more than a message from Jordan, but it would be a word from God that would speak to us, that would build our lives together. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a couple big thoughts uh, today that I'd encourage you to write down. Uh, You can jump into the church app if you've downloaded that. There's a place you can pop some notes in there, take notes during the service, or if you prefer to write them down, I think we've got something for you to write notes on in the chair back in front of you, but it's scientifically proven you're like 60% more likely to go to heaven if you'll just take notes. It's amazing. Uh, It's fantastic. But in all seriousness, it's just good spiritual discipline. Amen? So let me give you a few things uh, to write down. First thing I want to talk to you about is this. The Word of God is a key to releasing the power within us. The Word of God is a key to releasing the power within us. What I want to share with you today, I really feel is vitally important. We're kicking off a brand new series, a summer series, where we're going to be sharing from our hearts with you. Across all of our campuses, all of our guys are going to be preaching what they feel like the Lord is put on their hearts. And I really feel like God's put this on my heart for the church. I feel like it's so important that we realize that God has put us here on this earth To do more than just be saved. Come on, somebody. To do more than just go to church. But he's put us here so that in Christ we could find salvation and then not just go to church, but be the church. Our future depends not on us going to church. Our future depends on us being the church. Being the people God's called us to be. Doing the stuff God's called us to do. Connecting with the mission God's called us to into. And I feel like in the day and age we live in, I feel like the Spirit of God is, is a fan favorite, if, if I can say that. You know, back in the day, it used to be all about the Bible. Amen? But it seems like today, we love coming to church, and we love the presence of God, and we love 
the, the, the sense of God's presence and entering into that and we, we worship and the atmosphere is here and man, surely God is in this place. I feel like today we really prioritize the Spirit of God and there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like by and large, many of the believers today are short on the Word of God. We would recognize His presence when we sense it But we don't know very much about his word. We're quoting stuff like, well, you know, in the Bible, it says God helps those who help themselves. You know, like that's not in there. You know what I mean? That was like Instagram. That was Pinterest. That's not the Bible, you know. Um, Money's the root of all evil. My God, it's not really what it says. You know what I mean? It says money is a root of all kinds of evil. I'm just saying, by and large, we love the presence of God. We love to show up and worship. We lo- I travel all over. I mean, we, we, people love to worship. But they don't know the Word of God. Matter of fact, uh, Doug Clay, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God over really the whole world, he said one of the greatest threats in this generation is biblical literacy. It's one of the greatest challenges. That we live in a generation that loves God's presence, they love church attendance, But by and large, we do not know the Word of God in a way that is shaping our lives, marking our lives, and helping us to walk and live in a way that Jesus walked and lived in the earth. I recently read a statistic that tells us that 60% of believers do not even know what the Great Commission is. Now, my intention is not to be negative. It's not to be a downer. I just want to help you understand that I've got a passion that's burning in my heart right now that we would understand the importance of the Word of God. Now, I have friends that are like, listen, our church, we're a Word of God church. We're a Word of God church. And I've got other friends that are like, we're a Spirit of God church. We're, we're a Spirit of God. We just want to see the Spirit of God move. If we get to the Bible... Good. At some point, that, that's great. But man, if the Spirit of God moves, we're good. Listen to me. I don't think it's good enough that we're just a Word of God church. And I don't think it's good enough that we would just be a Spirit of God church. I think we've got to be right in the middle. I think being a both and church, we're going to be a Word of God church and a Spirit of God church. Word of God without the Spirit, you're dry and crusty. Come on, somebody. Spirit of God without the Word, and it gets strange and weird. I'm telling you, the power is found in the middle. It's in being a both and people, a both and Christian, a both and church. My Bible tells me in Romans 8, 11, that the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit. There are no multiple Holy Spirits. Come on, somebody. That means it was the same Spirit of God in the beginning in Genesis 1, 1 through 5. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same Spirit who raised you from the dead spiritually. It's the same Spirit of God that lives in you. If you've trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you according to Scripture. So why is it, if the the Spirit of God that literally created all things and raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit of God that empowered the early disciples to do Signs and wonders beyond imagination to literally, the Bible says, turn the world upside down. If that spirit lives in you, shouldn't God be not just moving in you, but also moving through you? 
See, there's a profound truth that goes all the way back to the very beginning. There's a divine order to things. In the very beginning, the Bible says the Spirit of God was present at creation. The Bible says the earth was formless and void and without form. It just was there. And the Spirit of God was there. He was hovering. He was moving. He was present. How many know He's ever-present? He's never static. The Bible said He was hovering. He was moving. The Spirit of God is never inactive in your life. I'm here to tell you, even when the Spirit of God isn't doing anything, He's doing something. Come on. The Bible says He's there at the beginning. He's there. He's moving. But He's not doing anything. Until a word from the Father came, saying, let there be light. And boom, the Holy Spirit goes to work. And light was formed. And he began to form the earth and separate things at the word of God, separating the water from the land and creating all living things at a word from the Father. So important that we understand that it is at the word of God that the Holy Spirit moves. Can I just tell you, church, you must add to the Spirit of God within you the Word of God. You must add to the Spirit of God in your life the Word of God. The Holy Spirit still moves at the Word of the Father. When you put the Word of God into your life, the Holy Spirit starts working. It is the authority that he is used to responding to. Jesus said he will tell you what I tell him to tell you. He will do what I say to do. Jesus and the Spirit of God are in complete unity. They are one. They are one in mind, one in mission, one in direction. The Spirit of God still moves at the word of God. So when you put the word in you, the spirit of God is energized. That spirit inside of you, that Holy Spirit, the same one that created everything, raised Jesus from the dead, the one who dwells inside of you. When you begin to feed your life with the word of God, something starts stirring you up and the Holy Spirit starts getting stirred up within you because he is used to moving at a word from the father. Listen, because God does through what he says, to know what God is doing, we got to know what God is saying. Because God does through what he says. God didn't move, use his hand and create. He spoke. Boom, let there be light. And the Spirit of God creates light. Boom, let there be a separation between land and sea. Boom, let there be. Boom, let there be. And the Spirit of God moves. God speaks and creates. So if you want to know what God is doing, you got to know what God is saying. And listen to me, church. When you open God's book, you open God's voice. When you open God's book, you open God's voice. It is his voice to you. It is vital that we know his word. If you want to see God do more than move in you, but you want to see him move through you, then you better get God's voice, God's word inside your heart because it's the only voice the Holy Spirit is empowering. The Holy Spirit is not obligated to empower the will and the ways of men. He is obligated, though, because of the unity of our God, he is obligated to back up the word of God. Whether God spoke it in the scripture or he spoke it to your life, the Holy Spirit is in the business of backing up God's word in your life. So if you want to see God move through you, 
One of the best ways to do that is to start putting the word of God into your life. Watch what starts happening to your faith. The Bible, it tells your faith where to go, how far to go, how, how, how wide to go. It tries to explain to us uh, what, what God is into doing. That's why the devil will do anything he can to keep you away from the word of God. I'm telling you, you want to be interrupted? Just set aside time to pray and meditate on the word of God. 75 phone calls later, two of your children are puking. I'm telling you, the enemy comes to steal that time with the Lord. He knows the power of someone who walks with not just the Spirit of God, but the Word of God. He's in the business of empowering the voice of God. How many know we got to be a spirit church and a word church? Write this down. The Word of God is key to winning battles. The Word of God is key to winning battles battles. So not only does the Word of God help to release the power of God through your life, but it is the key to winning battles. So let's talk about this a little bit. How many are dealing with a battle in your life right now? Many of us. And if you're not dealing with a battle now, you'll probably be dealing with one later. How many know life? We, there's battles we're fighting. There's stuff we're dealing with. I used to say all the time, when you get saved, chocolate milk does not flow from your tap. Skittles do not rain from the sky. It's so funny. Some people just, you know, if you never want to have another problem, just give your life to Jesus. I'm like, wow, must have gave our life to a different Jesus or something. I don't know. We must be reading a different book. My Jesus said, in this world, you will have some trouble. But to take heart, for he's overcome the world, there's going to be some battles that we fight in this life. If you're in a battle right now, just know you're in good company. Jesus fought battles. Every follower of Jesus since then has fought some battles. You will too. You might fight battles in your family, your marriage, your children. You'll probably be fighting battles in your mind until Jesus comes back again. But I need you to know that a believer that is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is a powerful force. As a matter of fact, what was Jesus' model for fighting battles? Well, let's look. The Bible tells us that being full of the Holy Spirit and full of the Word of God was Jesus' method for fighting battles. Now, we know that Jesus was the Word. Come on, somebody. He is the Word of God, the very nature and express image of God. But that did not keep Jesus from still being full of the Word of God itself. Matter of fact, the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus was well-versed and studied in them. The Bible says that in the baptism of Jesus, he was baptized as an example for all of us. If you're new to the faith and you're wondering, man, they talk to me about getting baptized. Why should I do that? Well, because it's step one. Jesus said, repent and be baptized. And he modeled that for us as an example, not because he needed to be forgiven of sin, but because he wanted it to be an example of what righteousness would look like. And the Bible says he was baptized in water, and after that, the Holy Spirit rested on him like a dove. The power of God rested upon Jesus, and he was driven out into the wilderness and was immediately tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to see in this picture, Jesus is in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. How many know it like day four, you're ready to kill people anyway? You know what I mean? You're fasting, and, and he hasn't eaten for 40 days. At this point, the devil comes and is attacking Jesus, attacking his mind, attacking his belief in who he is, attacking his identity as the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God. It's interesting to me that Jesus did not fight the devil like most Christians do today. I see Christians do some of the weirdest stuff in the world when they're fighting spiritual battles. I mean, 
listen, nothing against praying in tongues. I probably pray in tongues more than most of you guys. I'm just saying, you can pray in tongues all you want to. At some point, you're probably going to have to do something else to shift some big battles. Nothing against that. How many know prayer moves heaven? We didn't see Jesus pray in the devil's face in tongues, okay? We just didn't see it. We didn't see him pleading the blood of Jesus. I've seen Christians plead so much of the blood of Jesus, it's just unreal. I plead the blood here and the blood there and the blood on the lights and the doorposts and the, the blood, the blood, the blood. Jesus wasn't like, and I plead the blood of myself, um, you know, over, over my situation and my life. You know, you know what Jesus did? Jesus went right back to the authority of the word of God. Jesus stood in the attack of the enemy and he said, it is written. It is written. He went to the authority of the word of God for his strength and for his defense. I'm telling you, friends, there will be some battles in your life. You can plead all the blood you want to. You can pray in whatever language you want to. You can send any amount of money to whatever televangelist you want to. I'm just telling you, at some point, to pass the test, you're going to have to study the book. You're going to have to go back and say, no, devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. You're going to have to go to God's promises and the authority of the written word of God. Sometimes to pass the test, you got to study the text. Can I get an amen? amen. To, be, to be strong on the defense. you got to know. If you're sick, you got to know where God says. He heals all of my disease. If you're struggling with condemnation, he forgives all of my sin. you got to know what God's word says. It's there for your edification. Jesus drew power from the word of God to fight battles. As a matter of fact, every bit, let me shift gears just a little bit, every bit of the armor of God listed in Ephesians chapter 6, you guys remember, in the, if you're new to the church, bear with us, but if you grew up in church, you guys know the belt, come on, you got the breastplate of righteousness, got the helmet of salvation, I know your feet are shod, come on, the good King James word, not sure what shod means, pretty sure it means you got them, you got, you're wearing them, you know what I mean, but you got your feet shod, come on, in the gospel of peace, you got your shield of faith by which you can extinguish every enemy of the, or every fiery dart of the devil, come on somebody, every bit of the armor of God is defensive, it's defensive, right, except one thing, the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the Word of God. Can I just say this? Most Christians I know are very good at the armor and very poor with the sword. Paul said it this way. He said this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. He encourages us to fight the good fight of faith. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I, I grew up, come on, as a scrapper. I spent a little time in the hood, on the streets. You either beat them or they beat you, okay? I'm just saying. And I learned a little bit about what a fight is. A fight isn't a fight if you don't throw a punch. That's called a beating, Come on, somebody. I was raised in rural Montana, not Seattle, not Southern California. We, we didn't fight back with mom and dad. We just got a beating. You know what I'm saying? It was spare not the rod. It was like our family scripture. You know what I mean? I'm just telling you, if you don't throw a punch, 
That's not a fight, that's a beating. Come on, somebody. Most Christians I know are not fighting the good fight of faith. They are taking the good beating of faith. They are laying on the ground with the shield of faith. Listen, I follow your Facebooks. I read all your prayer requests. Every one of you is always going, listen, you know, it's really tough right now, Pastor. I'm just fighting a battle. I'm in some spiritual warfare. I'm just really going through it. My marriage is going through it. My kids are going through it. My mind is going through it. I'm just going through it. My finances are going through it. My mortgage is going through it. My schooling, I'm just going through it. I'm really going through it, Pastor. But you know what? I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. In my mind, what I see is the believers of God laying on the floor and the devil's standing over you beating the living daylights out of you but you got that you got that shield of faith hidden up you know i can't wait to get to heaven one day i'll fly away and you're just gonna skiff into heaven jacked up beat up broken leg can't wait for your glorified body because the devil beat the tar out of you the whole time you were here That's not what Paul was talking about. He said, you fight the good fight of faith. When he listed the armor, he also said, you got a sword. You're supposed to deliver the blows that take the enemy down. You're supposed to win. You're supposed to hit the devil. You're supposed to beat back the darkness. You're supposed to win. Yeah, you got some armor because the enemy can't take you out. But you're supposed to jack him up, not the other way around. He's a defeated enemy. He's a defeated foe. God has stripped his authority away and gave it to you. I don't even fight eye to eye with the devil. He gets to deal with the bottom of my feet. Come on, somebody. And if he pops his head up, I'll smack it with the sword of the Spirit. I'm telling you, you were meant to win. And we got a generation of Christians that are laying down, getting their butts kicked by the devil. Can't wait to get to heaven. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We're supposed to win in this life. We're supposed to win the battles we fight. You're not supposed to fight the same battle for 10 years. You're not supposed to get defeated. You're supposed to win. That's the mandate of God upon your life. You're supposed to win in this fight against the enemy. You were born into your daddy's war, but you were born into a game uh, that was fixed. Come on, somebody. We already won the war. We just need to win the battles until he comes back again. You were not purchased just to take shots. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus so that you could deliver shots into the darkness, deliver shots against the kingdom of darkness, deliver shots against the enemy until Jesus comes back for his church. We're supposed to be victorious in battle. We're supposed to be kings in the earth. But listen to me. Wielding the spirit of God, wielding the sword of the spirit isn't about how much you know. It's about how much you know how to do. Let me say that again because it went over half your heads. Listen to me. Wielding the sword of the spirit is not about how much you know. I know people that can quote more scripture than, than early biblical Pharisees. Come on, somebody. But there ain't nothing about them that looks like Jesus. They ain't winning any battles. They're not overcoming. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you know and believe you can do. You can have all the knowledge you want up here. But unless it translates to a real faith that you're living out and your life looks different because of what you know, 
That's not wielding anything. You can quote some stuff all day long, but if it doesn't come from a place of faith and authority, it means nothing. Listen, because God said it, it's true. When we walk it out in this life by faith, it becomes powerful. Because he said it, it's true. Every word he says is true. But it's when we walk it out by faith, it becomes powerful. I remember, oh man, so many stories. I remember one time, uh, I remember one time we were getting ready for a prayer meeting. And uh, we were all gathered here to pray. And Dale Crockett, our uh, facilities manager and, secu- and security leader. Uh, I don't know if he's in here or not. Dale, you in here? He's not. He's probably making sure things are secure. But uh, I'll never forget. He, there he is, Dale, about to tell on you. So he comes in here and he says, hey, pastor, we've got something going on in the foyer. Probably want to come out and, you know, take a look. And I'm thinking, I'll be honest with you, I was carnal. I'm thinking, I'm like, Dale, come on, man. I'm getting ready for a prayer meeting. You know what I mean? But I thought, hey, you know, Dale wouldn't be coming to get me if it wasn't important. So I come out to the foyer. I kid you not, there's a young man having a seizure standing up. I mean, he's all kinds of contorted. And, and uh, his mom didn't even know that we were having a prayer meeting. She just drove down the street because her son is manifesting demons, speaking in another voice, freak, I mean, just freaking out. I mean, contorted face and a, a different voice. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go, you know. And, uh, but listen, in Bible college, they very rarely teach you how to deal with demon-possessed people. But the Bible talks about it a lot. It's really interesting. And so it's, it's interesting where it, it, typically in Bible college, we don't train people for what they actually face out in the world when you're advancing the kingdom. <laughs> now, I know a lot of people are getting wise, and they're, they're trying to fix that. But it was interesting that I knew what to do in that moment. You know, I didn't try to do anything crazy. I just realized something that they don't have authority over me. I have authority over them. So I told it where to go, and it left. And the boy straightens out and is completely normal again. Do you know, we ended up leading that boy to Christ, baptized him, and then he went to youth camp. I believe with you, right, Dan? Was that before you were here? I think it was Pastor Dan's very first year taking kids to camp here. And I don't know if he's still in our church or not, but I just thought, what a powerful thing. And here's the thing. I don't have a Ph.D. in Bible, but I read the book. And the book says that me as a believer and a son of God, I have authority over the works of darkness, not the other way around. They don't tell me what to do. I tell them what to do. They don't have power over me. I have power over them. Listen to me. You might not have a Ph.D. in Bible, But I'm just telling you, if you've read the book, you're more powerful than you think you are. You can do what God said you can do. You can have what God says you can have. You can be everything God says you can be in this book. You want to win battles? This is a battle manual. This is a war manuscript. We were born into our daddy's war. And he's given us all the authority of heaven. He's given us the same Holy Spirit. And you can do everything he says you can do in this book. This book, the book of God, teaches you how to win. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, the church has forgotten this, though. We're confusing Jesus Christ, the anointed one, with Gandhi. Jesus didn't just come to save. 
He said, I came to destroy the works of darkness in the earth. There was some stuff you're supposed to destroy before you go to heaven. There's some darkness you're supposed to obliterate before you get to heaven. There's an assignment you're supposed to step into before you get to heaven. Some of you are going to eradicate cancer in your generation. Some of you are going to make it hard for your workplace to go to hell. Some of you are going to usher in revival in your schools and in your families and in the cities that you live in. You're supposed to do damage to the kingdom before you get to heaven. Some stuff you're supposed to tear down and rip up and destroy. I'm telling you, if God wanted you to be powerless and normal, he gave you the wrong savior, the wrong book, and the wrong spirit. John Wimber, he said this, every believer needs three conversions. To be converted to Christ, to be converted to his church, and to be converted to his cause. Most believers stop at being converted to the church. We trusted God, and I'm a member of that church, but are you engaged in his mission? Is the sum total of your faith church attendance? Or are you engaged in the mission of God? Some of you need to experience a third conversion. Come on, somebody. You need to not just be converted into the faith and not just be connected into the church. But some of you need to be converted into the cause of Christ. You need to not just, come on, come, connect, and grow, but you need to go with God and do something for the kingdom of God. He's called you to be somebody. He's called you to do something. He's given you a mission and a destiny and an assignment for your life. We need to experience that. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm telling you, you're a part of the front lines. God's called you to be involved in his mission. The Bible says, he said this, that I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, the borders, the boundaries, the, the gates of the kingdom of darkness will not prevent my church from going forward into this world and building my church and reaching people and seeing the kingdom of God come. Come on, on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to tear down the gates of hell. We're supposed to kick demons out of cities. We're supposed to see sickness flee and stuff look like the Bible. I'm telling you, as a new believer, I didn't really know the Bible as a young man. But when I started reading this book, I thought, man, most of the church doesn't look anything like what I'm reading about in here. Most of the church looks powerless and bored. These people look powerful and gnarly. Come on, somebody. Jesus likes a little bit of edge. There's a reason Jesus didn't leave the church. Come on, to John the Beloved, the snuggler. Come on, somebody. He gave the church to Peter. Yeah, he cut a couple ears off. Yeah, he fell away a couple times. Come on, somebody, but Peter had some gusto to him. Peter liked to jack stuff up and cut stuff up and do some damage to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, you know what? Eh, he's a little edgy, but I'm going to give the church to him. Come on, somebody. That tells you a little bit about the heart of Jesus. There's a time for snuggling. Come on, somebody. Uh, there's a time for worship. There's a time for drawing near to our daddy's heart. Then there's a time to get our butts out there and do some damage for the kingdom of God. One without the other, and things just don't work. Number three, write this down. The word of God is the key to impacting the world. The word of God is the key to impacting the world. What does John, the beloved, say in John 1.14? John thought he was the favorite disciple. 
says this in John 1.14, such a powerful passage. He said, and the word, capital W, by the way, the word, it's really talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth, full of power and full of truth, full of grace and truth, full of spirit, come on, and word. He was full of grace and truth. Listen, the goal isn't just to get the word of God in you. The goal is to get the word of God into the world through you. If you start thinking this whole Christian life is about you, you're on the downward decline. I'm just telling you. If you ever start to believe it's all about you, we're in trouble. God loves you, not just for what you do, but for who you are. You need to know that. But at the same time, he didn't just save you just for you. He saved you so that we could be a part of this thing that he's doing in the world. He saved you so that you could be a part of your dad's mission. That's why he saved you. He saved you so that we could be a part of the family business. Come on, somebody. And our, our role in the family business is not just to be blessed. It's not just to be full. But it's so that our fullness can then impact the world around us. We don't just study his word to get it in us. We study his word to get it into the world. These pages, they represent him. They show his heart. They show what grieves him and what he loves. They show his heartbeat and his heartache. Come on, somebody. Jesus came into the world so that uh, people could see the heart of God for what it really was. That's why he came into the world. It's a world made manifest. He was the image of God. He came to a culture that had a jacked up view of Scripture. And they didn't understand God for who He really was. And so Jesus showed them who God really was. Not with just the text, but with His life. When you saw Jesus, you saw the Word. He's the Word made flesh. You know, it's not enough anymore to just invite our friends to church. It's not. It's not enough anymore to just send your friends a, a Facebook link or a YouTube link to our latest sermon. Nothing against that. I hope you share stuff. I hope what's happening in here gets out there. We do everything we can. That's why we have live stream and YouTube and all that stuff. But listen to me. If we're going to really impact the world, what happens here has to get out there. What happens on Sunday has to impact your Monday. You're the only Bible some people will ever read. The whole, the word became flesh thing wasn't supposed to end with Jesus. What you read in here should be changing your life until you look more like Christ. A spirit-filled believer that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit will always be conformed to the image of Christ. How many know we're being changed into his image from glory to glory, the Bible says. So in other words, there's some glory in you that's supposed to be visible to the world. John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his what? We beheld his what? That's King James. It means we looked straight at the glory of God. Amen? So let me break it down for you. But what does the Bible say about us? We're being changed from glory to what? Glory to what? 
So the world beheld his glory and we're being changed from glory to glory. In other words, people were not supposed to stop seeing the glory of God just because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and not walking on earth. He left us to do the job. In other words, people should be seeing a sliver of God's glory in Jordan. When I go to the coffee shop, when I go to work, when I go home, there should be some of Jesus visible in me. Come on, somebody. Listen to uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said, the Bible is not the light of the world. It's the light of the church. The world does not read the Bible. Listen, this is so good. The world reads Christians. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You might be someone's only experience of Jesus and Christianity. You might be the only Bible somebody ever reads. Let me land with this thought, and I'll be done this morning. Maybe I'll get to my fourth point in the second service. Or for a Starbucks gift card, I'll give it to you. You know, when I was 16 years old, my parents, my, my parents had gone through a divorce a couple years before that. And I'm, I'll never forget this experience I had. I think I was about 16, and I was already messed up on some drugs, going down a really dark path. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I, I really do believe that there's some hope in God. And I was hurting in ways I didn't know how to process and messed up with some bad friends and drugs and just... I was right on that verge, the tipping point where my life would really spiral out of control. And I showed up and I know I looked messed up, you know, I dressed in real dark type of clothing, might even have had blue hair then, I don't know. It was a different Jordan than you know now. Just telling you, God still saves. And I'll never forget, I, I showed up at this youth group and I would never use the name of the church. And I'm not even so sure our youth group would do a better job. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to beat them up. But the power of this story is this. I went looking for hope. But what I got was judgmental, a judgmental wall where these people didn't know how to handle someone like me. My intentions were good. My heart was open. But instead of being embraced and seeing Jesus in people, what I saw are people who didn't want anything to do with me. And so I sat alone in the back of the sanctuary while they all did church and had a church service and nobody talked to me. And I came and I left and I walked away from God for years. And when I got saved several years later, I remembered that moment and I I thought, how much different could my life have been if instead of this churchy wall of you don't belong here and you don't look like us. And what happened if I would have saw Jesus in them? What if like Jesus who touched the leper, who hung out with the alcoholic and the prostitutes, what if instead of the wall, I would have got Jesus? Maybe my life could have been completely different. I don't know. But I decided that instead of holding a grudge there, I would be the difference. And I decided that I was going to live my life in such a way where I was going to be transformed by these words and by this Holy Spirit until when people encountered me, they got 
Some of Jordan, come on, but some of Jesus. Nobody's ever going to be perfect this side of heaven. I'm just telling you, you're not. But it is possible for them to experience Jesus in you. As a matter of fact, it should be normal. One of my favorite passages in this New Testament scriptures when it said they recognized that these men, although common, had been with Jesus. What would happen if when people encountered you everywhere you went, they got some of you, but some glory of God? 